Hello and welcome to your Over the Phone Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. We're your hosts for this week. It's me, Farmers Guardian editor Ben Briggs. And me, Farmers Guardian news editor Olivia Midgley. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Subscribe through all your favourite platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Acast, to ensure you stay up to date with new episodes. In this week's show, and it's likely to have affected most of our listeners in some way, whether it's a quad bike or tractor theft, rubbish dumped in a gateway or sheep being stolen from a field, we take a look at the rural crime wave which is blighting our countryside. I also catch up with farmer and Countryfile presenter Adam Henson and ask him how he finds juggling life on the farm with working for the BBC, if his story ideas have a clash with the producers and how he deals with social media trolls. But first, and unless you were hiding under a rock for 24 hours last Thursday, you will have seen social media abuzz with posts, pictures and videos showcasing life on the farm all part of Farmers Guardian's 24 Hours in Farming event, once again kindly supported by Morrisons. As well as being a really feel-good event, providing that agricultural community spirit we're all grateful for at the moment, it gave the general public a glimpse of the passion and the dedication which goes into keeping food on the nation's plates. There were so many highlights, from educational films farmers have put together, to live Q&As with the public, that special message from the Prime Minister And of course, the essential everyday moments which keep the countryside alive and farm businesses thriving. From calves being born, crops being harvested, cows being milked, sheep herded off the fell, paperwork completed, the nervous work for TB test results. And let's not forget Alfonso the vet. Alfonso, the Butelar vet, went down a storm with his beefy rendition of Nessendorma. Surely, Farmer's answer to Luciano Pavarotti needs a space on the next series of Britain's Got Talent. Thank you to Alfonso and thank you to everyone for taking part in what has become the number one social media event in the agricultural calendar. Whatever challenges you face this autumn, Bayer is here to support you. We've gathered our expert advice top tips and videos together in one place to help you gain a critical advantage on tackling weeds and improving your soil. Search online for Bayer Critical Advantage to find out more. Now, new figures from NFU Mutual have laid bare the UK's rural crime epidemic. Highly organised criminals left the farming industry with a £54 million bill last year and the insurer's data shows crime spiked during the lockdown. Earlier I spoke to the Mutual's Rural Affairs Specialist Rebecca Davidson about what's being done to stop these gangs waging war on the countryside. Rebecca, these stats are really alarming aren't they? Why do you think this issue with rural crime is getting worse? What I'd say for the latest figures, which um, show that rural crime uh, costs rose to over 54 million uh, last year, 
is it's really down to organised criminal gangs targeting our farms and countryside. Um, over the last 10 years, um, it's become really big business um, to those serious gangs. And um, agricultural vehicle theft, for example, that was worth over £9.3 million last year, and that was a rise of 25%. Um, but as we say... It's organised um, criminality and it's got lots of links to other forms of crime. So this isn't about something that takes place in the countryside and stays in the countryside. It's actually, for, it's actually funding other forms of crime. Talk us through some of the trends that you've been seeing at NFE Mutual in terms of how crime has changed, if you like, over the coronavirus period. So at the beginning of lockdown, uh, we saw a general reduction in rural crime, which of course is something to be welcomed. But then um, we saw different spikes um, coming up. So we believe that a lot of the car thieves, for instance, their usual income streams dried up. So then they turned their focus to the countryside. And so they were targeting smaller, more portable, high-value items, so such as quad bikes, um, gators, um, sort of quite high-spec ATVs. So we suspect that they may even have been stealing those to commit more crime on rural terrain. Um, also GPS thefts, um, so the tractor navigation systems, which is such an essential part of modern farming, um, they have also been going in high numbers and they're being stolen to order um, for export overseas. And I know there's been some good results, hasn't there, with, with tracking stolen machinery, for example. I know a number of machines were recovered from Poland. How do these cross-border operations work? For about the last 10 years, we have worked very closely with the National Vehicle Crime Intelligence Service. We fund a special agricultural unit with them. And we literally will go to the lengths and breadths of the globe to track these things down and send a message out to thieves that they can't get away with it. Um, we share a lot of our claims information and data. It gives us a really rich insight into what's going on. And then we work on these joint operations. So um, I'd say in the last 10 days, we have recovered a telehandler and quad, which was stolen from the Midlands and tracked to Poland. Um, a mini excavator, which was um, stolen from the UK and found in France. Um, and we've also just had another quad bike back um, from Lithuania. Um, so we're being very active in this area. But of course, we'd like to stop these crimes from happening in the first place. Absolutely. And of course, we know there's a, a huge financial cost to these crimes, but also a, a big uh, emotional and psychological impacts as well. M many farmers we speak to say that they're so isolated and sometimes so remote that if they did need the police, it would take too long for them to get there. And do you think this is simply down to a case of not enough police officers in rural areas or the fact that they're forced to prioritise urban areas? I think you're absolutely right. I think with the isolated um, nature of, of farming, um, I think we get a lot of um, evidence back and we do surveys with our agents. And I think this fear of being staked out um, can really affect your, your, you know, your emotional, your, your, your mental health. Um, and also in our survey last year, one of the biggest fears was this um, 
fear of repeat attacks, uh, criminals coming back to the farm uh, once they know the layout. And um, farms aren't just a workplace, of course, you know, it's, it's where it's family home as well. Um, in terms of rural policing, what we do find is when you've got dedicated rural policing in an area, and when the farmers work very closely with the police and the local community, share information, because let's face it, they're now the eyes and ears of the countryside on these WhatsApp groups, because we don't have a rural police officer in every village. Um, that can make a big difference. Um, but it is, you know, it's, sadly, it is a fact that the response times are going to be longer and um, not everybody um, appreciates the full impact of rural crime. What can farmers do? I know you mentioned there the, the WhatsApp groups, which have, have seen great success, I know, um, and, and the farm watch groups, a similar scheme. What can farmers do to deter thieves and, and protect themselves? You have to really go for lots of different layers of security. So, of course, the first is just get the basics right. So removing keys from machines when they're not in use, um, where, where you're able to, um, not having them um, in, in sight from a road, if you're able to lock something away um, so it's out of sight. And it's, it's a combination of physical security, um, the community, which we've spoken about with Rural Watch and Farm Watch groups, and also the role of technology. There's so many farmers that I speak to who have a feed that comes through to their mobile phone that's linked to CCTV. But the more difficult you make it for the thieves, the more you will put them off. And of course, Caesar marking so important, um, trackers um, and immobilisers as well, because they can't take what they can't start. Let's move on to the, the livestock thefts, because I saw in the report that this had increased by 9% to £3 million uh, in 2019. Is this literally down to gang stealing sheep to trade on the black market, you know, to trade the meat? Unfortunately, we, we don't know as much about it at the moment. Of course, there was a very high profile case in the Midlands last year and um, three people were jailed um, earlier this year in, in regard to that case. Um, but the detection rates have been quite low for this sort of type of crime. So we're still trying to build up a picture about it. Um, but it's been rising over about 10 years ago. We'd rarely see more than a dozen sheep being taken in one go. Now we regularly get reports of 50 to 100 lambs being stolen and this has even continued throughout lockdown as well when at the beginning overall rural theft went down but we found that we had a 15% rise in the cost of livestock wrestling in April. And do you think would you attribute that to you know the, the food shortages in the supermarkets and things like that? I think criminals will always cash in on a crisis unfortunately um, and I'm really worried about is it because obviously the financial cost is creeping up, that's £3 million, but behind that, it's devastating for farmers when this happens, particularly smaller farmers. It can take years to overcome something like that, particularly with breeding lines and your breeding programmes. Um, it's devastating to find um, some of these cases with lamps being slaughtered in the fields as well. And many farmers have got their children around um, because they've not been at school, so they might be doing checks in the evening. And what a horrific sight to find. Um, and then for the wider public, 
there's um, a risk to human health as well because there's so many parts of the year we wouldn't allow our stock into the food chain and so we're deeply concerned about meat that's being slaughtered in uh, makeshift abattoirs in very unhygienic conditions and it's undermining our you know the integrity of our food standards as well which is why we always you know get people to look for good farm assurance schemes. You just mentioned there that the, the coronavirus has actually seen you know crime increase I mean just just I think everyone's noticed this uh this huge spike in fly tipping as well um which the costs of that are obviously running into hundreds of thousands even millions each year do you attribute that to the closure of the um the recycling plants and things like that in terms of fly tipping there's there's two, two sorts of types of crime with that so there that has become more organized as well so waste crime is another form of rural crime and so people it, you know it may seem too good to be true that there's this a company that are offering to take um, your waste away for a very low price but obviously that's not being disposed of legally so that's been a growing trend but of course in terms of the general public um, under lockdown they've been carrying out garden projects DIY projects having clear outs around the home and either the local authority recycling centre hasn't been open or it's had reduced opening hours and they've loaded the car up and then they just throw it over a hedge not realizing that you know so all too often you know the farmer it's going to be on a farmer's land and they're going to be shouldering the clear up also there's the threat to um, health of animals as well and um, and and again we found other forms of of, um, this sort of issue with the influx of walkers as well in the countryside so people not keeping their dogs under control because they either don't know or they don't care about the impact there's definitely an education piece there isn't there and I think it comes back to respect doesn't it and having some respect for the countryside it does and you know the vast majority of us we want people to enjoy the countryside but we want them to respect it too. And it is disappointing because I know at Farmer's Guardian with the Take the Lead campaign, and we do a lot of surveys with dog owners as well, and we'd seen um, a real change um, with people more likely to put their dogs on the lead when they were going out. And so this influx of new walkers in the countryside who don't know what they need to be doing, um, it'll be very interesting to see you know, what the figures show at the end of the year. CLA members own or manage around half of the rural land in England and Wales and run more than 250 types of businesses. The in-house professional advisory team offers members independent and impartial advice on every aspect of land ownership and during this Covid crisis the CLA has never been more important to landowners of any size. To find out more go to www.cla.org.uk He's one of the country's best-known farmers. Adam Henson showcased his life on his Cotswolds farm on the BBC's Country File. I asked him how the businesses coped with coronavirus, if he gets a say in what's covered on the show, and if he feels a sense of pressure being one of the most recognisable faces of UK farming. I feel an enormous pressure, yes, and um, and I get quite a lot of advice and guidance from farmers, and um, sometimes they're not happy with what I'm saying or what we're delivering on Countryfile in particular, and I think um, 
as Countryfile goes, you know, it's a magazine show, something in there for everybody. And I think sometimes the farmers watching get a li little bit frustrated. It isn't agricultural enough. And we have to remember that there's so many people uh, in the country that don't know the difference between a, a sheep and a pig. You know, quite literally, they, some people I've met over the years have never seen a sheep before. And then you've got these amazing, intelligent, um, technological agriculturalists and watching the same program. So it's in, you've got to do something for everybody. And um, so I try and make it informative and, and interesting, um, but at the same time entertaining for people of all walks of life and all ages too. I mean, Countryfile is doing fantastically well, isn't it, in terms of the viewing figures. How did the job actually come about? Because you are a farmer, aren't you? And you, you ended up as a presenter. How, how did that actually happen? Yeah, so I was born and brought up on the on the family farm tenancy here in the Cotswolds. My dad took on the tenancy in 1962. I succeeded that from him after I'd been to agricultural college. I went down to Sealhane in Devon. Uh, that's sadly closed down now. But I was always wanted to be a farmer, trained in agriculture, worked on the farm as a, as a farm manager and then bought into the business and, and became the tenant. Um, but then Countryfile were doing a presenter search. And my partner, she works in television, persuaded me to apply. I sent a video in of myself and along with thousands of others amazingly got selected for auditions and then got the job in 2001 and I've been doing it ever since and I have to say I love it I, I'm, I love um, going out and meeting farmers all across the country learning about agriculture and the British countryside and um, you know it brings some diversity to my life. Oh fantastic and it sounds like you, your wife was the one that, that pushed you into into the spotlight then how, how is the family um coped with it all because obviously it's it's quite a big spotlight to be under isn't it yes we've got two children um they're now our daughter ella is 22 and our son alfie is 18 at the time they were obviously um much younger and um but they've sort of taken it in their stride um i love being at home and you know i soon get you know they bring me straight back back down to earth <laughs> being on the farm and and um you know they've been incredibly supportive it has taken me away from the family and the farm quite a bit. I've got an amazing business partner, fantastic managers on the farm. And um, yeah, I've been very well supported. And it's a lovely spotlight to be in. Um, you know, British agriculture has got a lot to sing about, a lot to celebrate, and, and that's wonderful. And so it's really great position for me to be able to talk about all those great, wonderful things. Um, but also the people, the viewers are very flattering. You know, it's the, they're very lovely about, you know, what we do. So I get lots of lovely comments, which is great. And you obviously get some, some lovely comments, as you've just said. Do you ever get any abuse or a hard time on social media? Because I know, you know, a lot of farmers we speak to do get quite a lot of flack from, from the public and sometimes other farmers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I do. Um, and, and I think it can come from both. It can come from the farming community who um, don't agree with what I might have said or don't think I'm a proper farmer or whatever it may be. And um, but also then from the general public, um, I sometimes get some from um, people who've got strong opinions about um, maybe it's about the, the, the vegan you know, community who don't think I should be growing animals for meat. It might be about pesticides. It might, it might be about conservation. Um, all sorts of people um, comment on what we're presenting on on Country File. And so I'll get letters and emails every day and uh, and I try and respond to them as much as I can and as far as social media goes I try not to react to social media 
um, and get into a squabble with people. Um, so I tend to avoid that and allow people to have their opinions and and try and try and let it wash off my back a bit. It, it's quite difficult um, when um, you're getting some quite nasty things sometimes said about you on social media that you can see almost instantly. Um, I try not to react. Um, I, I wish sometimes I had their phone number so I could just ring them up and have a chat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get, I get you there. Yeah, definitely. Um, how do you choose what you cover on the show? Do you pretty much have free reign in terms of, of the topics or is a producer kind of, you know, do you have a phone call every week and decide um, or, or do you kind of pretty much have, have free reign in terms of what you cover? No, it's, it's very much a joint decision. So there's an executive producer, uh, a series producer, and then my producer works with me on, on my pieces. And um, so we have a, a, a sit down and a chat about what's coming up for every month and then decide on stories that we're going to do. So it may be topical of what's going on on the farm. So whether we are foraging um, our grass or whether in harvesting or lambing or whatever it may be. And then there's other interesting stories coming into the Country File office from around the country. We're doing less traveling around at the moment um, because of COVID. Um, so very much following whatever's happening on the farm. And it may be lighthearted about my rare breeds or it may be more hard hitting about the sort of wider commercial business. So, and we're always looking for ideas. So anybody who's, who's watching this, you know, if you've got good stories to tell, um, you know, a bit like, you know, all the agricultural magazines and, and um, radio stations, they're always looking for, for interesting stories. So if, if people want to write in, do let us know what you're up to. Is there anything that you'd really like to cover, but the producer said, no, we, we can't do that, or it might be too difficult, or I don't know, too sensitive or emotive? Is there anything, or is there anything really nice that you just really want to, really passionate about and you really want to cover on the show? They're incredibly open-minded about everything, really. Um, they obviously have to be very, very sensitive because of BBC policy. Um, but no, I, I've never had the door slammed in face saying, no, no, you, you can't do that. Um, we've pretty much covered everything I've, I've, I've wanted to. Sometimes it's a logistical uh, or budget um, problem. So I'd love to go abroad and film um, agriculture you know, in America, in China, um, look at some of the countries that we may start importing food from and look at their agricultural systems, just to highlight really how good British agriculture is compared to other countries around the world. I mean, there always, obviously is fantastic food produced in, in across Europe and in other countries, but there's also some um, food production systems that I don't think are very good and that needs to be highlighted. Um, I'd love to go on a journey across Europe and look at some of the um, more small-scale agricultural systems, you know, there's sort of um, small little sustainable businesses that are going on across across Europe. So getting getting abroad would be great, but, you know, that comes with cost and the BBC are <laughs> put the reins on when it comes to that. Well, we'll make sure that that's noted. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How, how do you find um, tackling, you, you mentioned some of the diff more difficult subjects and things like uh, bovine TB and the badger call, for instance, obviously hugely sensitive issues, aren't they? But unfortunately, they are an everyday part of, of farming. How, how do you balance that? And, and how do you feel about presenting those really quite emotive issues? Yeah, I feel fine about it. I think... Um... We, we try and we're, we're sort of um, guided by the BBC that we have to become 
as presenters um, treading the party line. So, well, we, we have to be completely balanced is the right way of putting it. So we will interview people or Tom Heap or Charlotte Smith who do the investigates. We'll interview contributors who are um, being interviewed and it has to be a balanced argument wherever it can be. And then, you know, whichever side of the table you sit when it comes to those controversial issues, people will always have an opinion and may not think it's balanced enough. But for me personally, as a farmer, what I will do is just tell the story. So I've covered T TB in the past and continue to do so. Um, as a topic, we have to vary the topics across the program, you know, so it isn't something we, we keep going on about. Um, we've covered it a lot over the years. And, but I, no, I, I just say it as it is. And, um, and I'm quite honest and open and upfront about it. And, um, and that's fine. I don't have any editorial control for what are the pieces we do on Countryfile. I present and they, um, they then edit it. But I would never say something I didn't want put on the television. Um, so I, you know, I, I, it, it's very easy, really. Excellent. And obviously, things are now slowly returning back to this new normal that we keep hearing about. I mean, how has your business? I know it's 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 really um, quite tourism based, isn't it? How has that been affected over the last few months with the pandemic? Yeah, so we a large section of what we do on the farm is with our rare breeds and, and the Cotswold Farm Park that are our, our tourist enterprise. So we get about 160,000 visitors through the spring and summer months. Um, and that has been um, completely devastated. You know, we had to shut our doors um, and we missed the really busy period of Easter and the May bank holiday. So 40% of our annual revenue from that part of the business is lost. Um, we've got a caravan and campsite. We've invested in a new restaurant and um, bar and shop that we built on the farm tenancy um, that opened last year. And uh, we were hoping to start reaping the benefits of that this year. And, um, and we've also built six new um, lodges uh, that sleep up to six people. We've invested in those as well on, you know, on, on the landlord's tenancy, so on the landlord's farm. So we really needed to push on this year and being shut down with COVID has been um, devastating financially, but also having to send all the staff home. We had 53 on furlough. It's been incredibly difficult. So we have been brilliantly supported by Lloyds Bank. Um, we've had, I think the government have handled it very well, despite the criticism they've come, come under. I mean, furlough has saved people's jobs and saved the business. Um, so, and now we're open again and the people have come flooding back. We've managed to put all the COVID precautions and safety precautions in place and that's working really well. And the campsite is open and the lodges are full. So thank goodness at the moment, you know, where we're getting an income from our from our tourist enterprise but also we we farm we combine around 4000 acres on various different agreements we're in a joint venture with a neighbor so we've got our quite a large commercial um farming business alongside the tourism um business too but as all the arable farmers will know and as we mentioned earlier um wheat barley and oilseed rape uh, this year isn't good so it, we have had a bit of a double whammy Absolutely. Yeah. And have you been able to take advantage of any of the government schemes and, and how, how has that worked? I mean, um, in terms of the, you know, the, the, the grants and the reduction in business rates, I mean, that has helped, hasn't it? Keep things going. 
Yeah, the business rates has been really useful. Um, the Corona business interruption loan, um, we've taken that out. Um, we've had um, some holidays from the bank on some of our um, finance deals. Um, and now with the VAT um, reducing to 5%, that's really helped us in, in, our, in our shop. And we've also now, they've introduced these um, half price meals up to 20 pounds on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and, and we're taking advantage of that. So yes, we've, we've got fantastic um, management team at the farm park and uh, Kate Lord, our manager has been um, right across all of those um, places of support and, and we've tried to tap into them wherever we can. And, and you've just mentioned obviously the weather there, um the bane of, of farmers lives but obviously an essential part and um, what, what do you see as the as the biggest challenges for your business um going forward obviously there's the immediate challenge isn't there now but also going into next year as well what, what do you see the biggest challenges and, and also opportunities as well i think the um changing in the agricultural policy so the reduction of the but the, the, the BPS, the base payment scheme, um, moving that across perhaps towards to more towards ALMS to the environment land management scheme is going to be a challenge, but also an opportunity. Um, so we need to be um, quick footed on that and, and to be thinking really carefully about the way forward. Um, I think the changing climate is definitely challenging. And um, so we're looking carefully at how we can manage that, which isn't easy at all. Um, you know, a lot of these extremes are, are very difficult to deal with. Um, so risk management, I think, across the business is quite important, not having all your eggs in one basket. So the tourism and commercial elements of the arable farming usually balance each other out. And it's very unusual you get a year like this when both have been hit so hard. Um, we the, the reduction in some of the chemicals we can use. So, for instance, in oilseed rape and, the, and the, the problems we're having with flea beetle that isn't uncommon for farmers right across the country. And we're looking very carefully now at um, changing our crop rotation and reducing the amount of oilseed rape that we've got. Um, and the opportunities, we perhaps have a bit of a leg up because I'm in the media and, uh, you know, my, my face is on the telly, that we're trying to build up relationships. Um, and um, so we have a beer with Buckham Brewery um, called Rare Breed. Um, we're now working with Harrison Spinks, who are a bed maker. And we're putting all of our rare breed wool and our, our British breed wool into woolen mattresses. So trying to add value from the produce we have on the farm. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And with our tourist enterprise, looking you know, at staycation um, and looking at the way we entertain the public. So I think there's lots of exciting things to look forward to, um, but there are, as ever, um, a huge amount of challenges. Not knowing is the is the big question. So with COVID at the moment, not knowing what might happen this winter, not knowing what's going to happen with the various lockdowns of Manchester and Leicester and places like that, you know, is um, problematic. You're still ploughing on and so are we. Get Farmer's Guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24-7 through fginsight.com. Simply subscribe to Farmer's Guardian. Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today. Thanks, Liv, and to Adam Henson. He makes an excellent point about wool and how as an industry the impetus is on us to find those new markets and add value to what is a highly sustainable natural fibre. 
On to finding new markets in rural tourism now, and I recently caught up with Andrew Jones of Rackery Retreat. I'm here with uh, Andrew Jones at Rackery Retreat near Wrexham, uh, which is a very, very high-end glamping business, and we're looking out over beautiful rolling fields. But, Andrew, you've been telling me um, that because of the impetus towards staycations and the fact that people can't travel uh, as much this year abroad, you're really benefiting from it at, uh, at this site, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right, Ben. Um, you know, it's uh, we've been going now two years, and we've been gaining a bit more traction every year. But we've never seen anything like the amount, um, the volume of inquiries because we're already booked up for July and August, and we probably could have sold another forty percent uh, worth of accommodation, but we don't have it. Um, and then we've got um, a, a real strong demand, and already got seventy-five percent, eighty-five percent booking. Sorry for September and October. Um, so, um, you know, Corona has, um, whilst it gave us a lot of worries for 12 weeks when we were shut down and we were not doing any business, uh, the flip side of that is, you know, there's been a lot of companies that are, and a lot of people that will have opportunities and people not wanting to fly. I keep saying to people, there's only one place on earth, they say don't open a bag of nuts because we have someone with a nut allergy and that's on a plane. So that uh, that's the risk of... So, of course, lots of people wanting to not be trapped abroad and on a 14-day standstill and all the things, that the risks that go with going abroad. So it's, it has played into our hands big time, really. And obviously, you're a, you're a former dairy farmer, but you've got three big, uh, I can't even call them pods. They're um, uh, huge glamping tents, uh, very, very well uh, laid out. But can you just give people an overview of the three facilities you've got here at, at Rackery? They qualify as, um, described as safari tents, that's what they are, nine metres by five metres. And, um, you know, they're fully fitted with um, bathrooms and kitchens and uh, log burners. And, uh, you know, they've got gas hobs and uh, the roll-top bath and shower and flush your toilet. Just just what you'd get in a kind of a four-star hotel. And, um, and then hot tubs that we've added as well. So, um you know, I think it's the hot tubs, the roll-top baths and the log burners that sell on the internet in the evening when um, when the ladies of the household are browsing over where to go next. It's those sort of things that catch their eye, I think. And with, just to finish, with coronavirus, obviously reshaping how people spend their leisure time, uh, the thought of a, a holiday abroad isn't always, isn't as appealing quite as it was for a lot of people. Um, do you see this kind of, boom in staycation lasting beyond this year time will tell really um you know i mean the the, the acid test already has been um people um, that have sourced food locally at, at maybe above the supermarket prices are already going back to buying in supermarkets now the supply you know there's not a worry of the supply um so i think it's up to us as um as british tourism industry to show off and give everybody good value and show what what uh, we can do in this country you don't need necessarily to go abroad you know maybe the weather is the only thing the only benefit but um after that you know um we, we've got a lot of nice things in this country and a lot of countryside and i think as a farming population it's a sort of a bit of a mind block that we think oh well that's a waste of a piece of land but in, in my experience has taught me that you know i can earn more off an acre of land than i can off the rest of the farm and uh, i think farmers uh, you know we have space but we never seem to have any cash in our pockets and the rest of society seem to have cash in their pockets but don't have any space you just have to work out how you sell your space really 
Well, thank you, Andrew. And you can hear more, uh, a fuller interview with Andrew in the Have I Got News For You podcast that Farmers Guardian does in conjunction with CMEX and which will be available at the end of August. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back as ever next Tuesday. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.